there, Paul. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning, everyone. So uh, this is the part of the service that we, we open the Bible together and we, we ask God, what do you want to speak to us about? And uh, wasn't that testimony slot brilliant? <laughs> just good. It's just so good. I'm just going to have a drink. I think it just really challenges me in terms of even church that we come along and a few nice songs, we get a few nice points to take away. Actually, church is a whole lot more, isn't it? And, and God is a whole lot more than that and just encourage us to, as a church and uh, as, as a community just to push in more into that. So, yeah, I had a picture as I was uh, preparing this morning and it was a picture of uh, an old lawnmower and it wasn't uh, one of those fancy ones you get, but one of those ones, is it the petrol ones, and you have the cord, and you go like this, and you pull it. Now, my dad used to have one of these, and when I was younger, he would leave me to try and start it. And, you know, being a determined young person at, like, 10, 11 years old, I'd be at it for about 20 minutes, my arm killing me, and like, it's not happening, it's not happening. But I had that picture of an old lawnmower, and just maybe as a picture for a few of us that we've been trying for ages when it comes to church, when it comes to God, when it comes to reading our Bible, when it comes to praying, when it comes to trying to suss out what this is all about, that we're there at the lawnmower and we're giving it a, we're trying to get it started and it's just not happening. And we, we feel a bit kind of deflated and God just wants to say, I'm, I'm with you and uh, you're ready to get going. That for a few of us, he just wants to start that motor and, and, and restart maybe your relationship with him uh, this morning. So just a little picture that I had. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Corinthians this morning, and we're re we've reached chapter 7. And uh, just to give a wee recap, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth uh, from a place called Ephesus. So he was in Ephesus for uh, three years. And the people in Corinth aren't exactly living a life uh, the way that God would intend. So there was loads of divisions within the church and people were making decisions and living their lives uh, in sexual sin, which we looked at last time uh, that I spoke a number of years ago. A number of years ago? A number of weeks ago. <laughs> dear, dear. <laughs> and he wants to write to this group of people in Corinth and he wants to identify what the problems are. So this is what's going on. Uh, and th these are things that you can do to fix these problems. And when he's detailed what is, what's going on, so he lists everything that he sees that isn't good, he, he lists that out. It isn't to humiliate the people there. It isn't to, to make them feel bad, but it's to stress that they are loved and they are called uh, to live as imitators of Jesus. That's the reason why he's writing uh, to these people. But right at that time, this wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. There wasn't even an acknowledgement with these people that what they were doing was wrong. And it was a case of they were so, so close, yet they were so, so far away uh, of understanding fully why Jesus did what he did. So we're reaching chapter 7, and similar to the last passage that I looked at, it's a bit of a monster. It's 40 verses long. We're not going to read 40 verses this morning. We're going to focus in on verses 17 to 24, uh, which in most of your Bibles is entitled, Concerning Change of Status. And I'm going to ask, Gus, would you like to be our Bible distributor? Yes. Yes, one person's excited for Gus being that Bible distributor. Uh, put your hand up if you need a Bible, and Gus will get that out to you. And uh, for the rest of us, we can look it up on our phones, and it should be on the screen as well, hopefully. That's not the greatest up on the top left there, but I'm sure you can follow along. Oh, sorry, I haven't even said. 1 Corinthians 7, 14, uh, 17 to 24. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 to 24. And before we read, I'm just going to pray. Why don't we do that? 
Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is a, it's, it's a pathway for us. It's, a, it's an access point to you, Lord, and that you want to speak to us through it. We just pray that you'll just challenge us, Lord, in, in areas of our lives where we need to uh, lay things down, Lord. Will your voice just be really clear this morning? Amen. Let's read. Nevertheless, each person, person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Amen. Now, I remember being, I think I was 13, 14 years old, and I received the best present ever. It was the best present ever back at that time. And it was Christmas time, and it was on my list to Santa. I may have still believed in Santa at that time. I'm not sure. Probably not. And it was a Sega Mega Drive. It was a Sega Mega Drive. Now, this machine was the bee's knees back in 1990. I'm trying to do the sums here. Probably about 1997, I got this games console. The box was really cool. Had Sonic the Hedgehog on the outside. Had the best controllers ever. Uh, and this games console turned out to be my life. For a, for a season. And this is a bit weird, but for the foreseeable future, every night after playing it, I would get all the leads and I'd box it back up, put it in the little plastic bags, put it back in the box, package it up just like when I got it, and then I'd put it under the bed before I went to sleep at night time, and then I'd put a wee jumper over it, just in case, you know, any robbers come in and you don't want them seeing your Sega Mega Drive. Uh, and then I'd go to sleep. And also, every game that I would buy for the Sega Mega Drive, it would have instruction manuals, which are about this thick. That would be my bedtime reading. I'm not even kidding. I would read the instruction manuals in bed, and then as I closed them and I finished reading them and went to sleep, I was like, I can't wait to play that game tomorrow again. I was so, so excited. I was so, so excited. This games console at that time mattered more than anything else in the world. Uh, I wouldn't sleep, and I'd play it. You know, I'd play it till late at night. I would skip meals sometimes as well. And uh, it would consume my every thought. How do I get past that level? There must be a way. And just at a random point, ah, that's how we do it. And then I'd go back and play it. I'd go back and play it. And at that point, it was what mattered to me most. But I realized as I grew up that some things mattered a whole lot more and I got a bit of perspective. What matters most is a really, really important question to ask ourselves in life. What matters most? I wonder what I'd our response would be if we went individual, we're not going to do that, but just what matters most in your life right now? What our response would be? Is it our career? Is it our car? Is it our house? Is it our wife? Is it our husband? Is it our kids? Is it our bank balance? Is it what people think about us? Is it that we appear okay? Is it that we don't get noticed? Is it that we get noticed? Is it God? 
Paul is continually stressing to the believers in Corinth that the people around, uh, what people around them are demanding doesn't matter. So there's a group of people that are telling them, do this, do that. You must be circumcised. You must follow Jewish traditions. He's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And there's a whole lot of things that are consuming these people's lives which do not carry eternal benefits, but actually hinder them. It's hindering their relationship with Jesus. Because what matters most is that they're growing alongside Jesus, that they're understanding more about what he brings, that they're walking with him alongside them in their life, the ups and downs, the everyday. And the rest, the rest of the stuff that they're uh, being persuaded by and influenced by doesn't matter at all. And although the context in chapter 7 is all about uh, married couples, the application is 100% for all of us, whether we're in relationships, single, divorced, separated, dating. So we're going to explore everything under the main theme, what matters most this morning, and just to challenge us on this and to place Jesus at his rightful place. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you aren't a Christian, and you know that you've been placing certain things in your life to the top of your list. And the reality is when you do that, it's not bringing you happiness. It's not bringing you the results that you hoped for. Jesus can help. So we're going to have a look if we could have the first slide up. An obsession with the what next means that we miss out on the what now. Uh, the past few months, we, uh, I've had the privilege of going to a few weddings get suited up and choose my tie and haven't went with the kilt this summer I've, I've tried to go with the the waistcoat and trousers but they've been such such great fun I Mary's like why are you telling them that I don't know why I'm telling people that it's not even in my notes when I go to a wedding I'm teleported back to the 15th of August 2009 I had to write that I looked away when I, I, I remembered it. <laughs> the 15th of August 2009 and when I tied the knot in Inverness uh, to my wonderful Mary Everything floods back. The nervous excitement of the groom, when you have a look at the groom, the photos, the speeches, the first dance, the cake. And on the run-up to our big day and on the big day at various points, we had a number of people came up to us and they gave us a little bit of advice. It went along the lines of this. Make sure you take a wee bit of time throughout the day and just acknowledge it. Enjoy the right now, right in, that, in the moment of your wedding day. Chat about it. So within the wedding day, so much going on, hundreds of our friends and family there, so many boxes to be ticked in terms of where we go next, just enjoy the right now. So we did. At certain points, we made sure uh, in amongst the craziness of the day that we took time out and we appreciated it. So when we're in the car going to the reception, we just, this is brilliant, isn't it? What a special, special day. Paul, in verse 17, he says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Right now, you are where you are meant to be. The Lord has assigned to where we are meant to be right now. And that could be an utterly rubbish thing to hear right now as you're sitting here because life can get pretty tough. Or maybe you're sitting here and you acknowledge fully why you are where you are right now. God has a plan this morning. Ask him and don't try to rush away from it or run away from it. Close ourselves away from it. Ask him. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. So just like the wedding day, focusing on the next, the cars, the flowers, the, speak, the speeches, the photos, the cakes, the dances, the first night, the honeymoon, the thank you cards, take time to embrace the right now. 
and ask God, why am I here right now in this situation? Why am I here? Why is life like this just now? So it's not the next job, the step up, the next move, the next holiday, the next day. But right now, God, right now in this very moment, what now? What now? And just to add, there's nothing wrong with having uh, ambition and forward planning in the future, but we must not neglect the very present situation that God places us in because He wants to use us. He wants to use us no matter how we feel. So in amongst the stress and the dark times, the lonely times, the uncertainty, the pain, the joy, the excitement, the celebration, in all things we ask God guidance on the right now. And if we struggle to do that, if we struggle to do that, we take time out. We take time out in our lives, just like we did at the wedding, deliberate time out in our weeks and our months and speak to each other. Chat about how, how things are going Acknowledge it and ask God why, why we are where we are. It's so important. And a couple of things could be, is it to teach us something? Is it to teach someone else something? Is it to grow his church? Is it to provide practical support to someone? Is it to draw you closer to him? And when we identify why we are where we are, our calling is set apart from the setting of our calling, if that makes sense. So it may be that right now where we are is not in a great place, but we're called by God to be in that place. So our calling, where we're situated, sets us apart from everything else that is going round on around us. God has us. We can have his full assurance and his sovereignty. He's in control. He protects us and he embraces us in that. So don't let the what next mean that you neglect the what now. Secondly, a declutter can do us good. A declutter can do us good. Paul, in these few verses, explains two illustrations in verse 18 and 19, and they're concerning circumcision, and in 21 and 22, concerning slavery, which was really common practice uh, at that time. And the main theme is that certain groups in and around the church in Corinth uh, were concerned and obsessed with things that didn't matter. Circumcision didn't matter. And if you're a slave, if there's an opportunity, free yourself, then go and do that, but don't let it trouble you. You have a new master, a new help, who if you follow will put your life in focus, will help make it make sense. Uh, one uh, TV show which I've watched back on YouTube, I don't know if many people remember it, is Life Laundry. Does anyone remember that at all? No, nobody, nobody, nobody. Right, let me tell you a little synopsis of Life Laundry. So this is, it's on YouTube, so you can YouTube it later. That's your Sunday afternoon viewing. And it starts with a female version of Lloyd Grossman. Do you remember Lloyd Grossman? Like, who lives in a house like this, you know? And she starts a little bit like this. We meet the Millers in this lovely four-bed detached cottage in Yorkshire. On the outside, a delightful, elegant, glowing property. On the inside, a dysfunctional disaster zone. So basically, they go into houses and the place is maybe a complete tip. And they, basically, it's people that just hoard, that have loads of stuff. And they go into these houses and everything looks okay on the outside. They go inside and they go through each piece. Why have you got this? Tell me a little bit about this. And they declutter their homes. Everything they have, they rake through and they ask questions. So what's the story with this? Oh, well... And they sit down, they have a wee cuppa, and he tells, they tell the whole story of why they've got what they've got. And the memories come flooding back. The history, the stories, the sentiment, and the declutter. 
So you think a little bit like, how clean is your house without Kim and Aggie and a little bit of chatting. So that's kind of what the show is. And as is often the case with a declutter, we begin to realize step by step, a lot of the time, a large proportion of the stuff takes up an awful lot of room and its value is questionable. And uh, my mum, bless her, I love her dearly, she, uh, because we've now had Joshua, and I had no recollection of this at all, since Joshua's came along, every time she comes to visit, she brings clothes or little items that I had as a child. So one week, I collected her on the train, and she came with a little bag, cowboy boots. I'm like, mum, we're hardly going to walk down Ellen with little Joshua and cowboy boots. And then the following week, it was a little leather jacket uh, that she had that I wore when I was a little boy. And it's kind of cute, it's kind of cute. But when, clove, I, when clothing starts coming on a more regular basis, we've got to realize that this is three decades worth of difference. Maybe it's not exactly the, the best stylistically. Anyway, when Paul says you are where you're meant to be, a lot of what you think matters doesn't matter. The appropriate action, I think he's calling the believers in Corinth, is a good old declutter. A good old declutter. A good old life laundry session. To walk through in our minds our memories, our thoughts, our stuff, where things seem cluttered, where things are a mess, when they're unruly to the point that we, we can't do anything with it. You ever get to the point that a room is just so messy and you're like, I, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. Where rubbish has an unhealthy place in our lives and just to ask God into it and to tidy up. So that could mean a whole load of different things. But I feel for most of us and for a lot of us, decluttering isn't concerning going to the attic or going into the shed. But it's a decluttering of the mind. A lot of what goes on in our minds, a lot of the unseen that uh, necessarily other people wouldn't even know about, needs to have a life laundry. I listened this week to an absolutely brilliant talk by a guy called Francis Chan. And this talk is called Don't Lose Your Awe. And you could YouTube that as well in your own time if you wanted. And he's speaking about our minds being completely drowned out by life. And as a result, we're not allowing God's presence to operate fully. And that we lose our awe of God. Now, awe means wonder, amazement, when we're lost for words. And the reality is that when we pray, the first five seconds are good. And then the phone buzzes. Our mind just keeps going. When we read our Bible and the first two lines, we're really into it and we're thinking, yes. But then we think, what's in the kitchen cupboard for dinner? His biggest concern in this talk that I listened to was our inability to focus on prayer. Bam, 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 all this stuff going on in our minds, our mind going nuts, Facebook, Instagram, emails, Amazon, eBay, Messenger. I've got to know everything. I've got to see everything. I've got to know what everybody else is doing. I'm missing out. We sung a line, uh, Ben sung a line and led us in uh, a line that said, peace so unexplainable, I can hardly think. God can bring us that peace. And uh, Francis Chan speaks about fighting the urge to multitasking. Mary spoke a little bit about multitasking when we were doing the offering in the storehouse and kids going out to fully focus on God. Not to have quiet times with God and think about eight other things that we need to do in life but to fight for only God to be our focus, to declutter our minds in the quiet. When we get alone with God, it's one thing at a time, one thing at a time, wholehearted worship, all our hearts, 
all our minds. It speaks about that in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And it's a battle, and it takes discipline. So after listening to this podcast, I got all fired up, and I think, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go. So after work, I drove to the beach, and I sat with my Bible, and to get along with God, and I prayed. And being completely honest, uh, I struggled. I really struggled. The beach was looking lovely. I took a little photo of the beach. I thought that'll make a great Instagram post. I'll put it on Facebook. All my friends will love it. And then I kept reading and I was praying. It was looking good. My phone was beeping. Mary sent me a wee message. I had a wee read of the message. And then almost by default, once I read the message, I went onto Facebook and then I checked my emails and then I went back to reply to the message. And when I was there in the car, I just, I said to myself, I spoke out, no, I need to actually get rid of the phone and get back into, into reading the Bible. So I've not nailed it, I've not sorted it, but I'm more aware of it. And when I was just chewing over this point, I just felt that's a word for all of us when we have our alone times with God. One thing at a time to declutter our minds. It was like a light bulb moment. So distracted by what doesn't matter. So when was the last time that we stood in awe of God? How many of us need to just declutter our minds before God this morning? Let's grow a little bit of discipline in our walks with God. And that's more than going away from here and thinking, I'm going to carve out 10 minutes a day praying, or I'm going to have 10 minutes reading my Bible. It goes beyond that. It's what's in our heart, our heart's desire to fully focus on Him. What's distracting us? What needs decluttered? And maybe there could be a couple of things that if you identify something in your life which is holding you back from God, that you get rid of it for a season until you learn how to control it or you get rid of it altogether. Because I guarantee when we identify what we need to declutter, that will give God greater influence, greater power, greater presence into our situations. So where we need a breakthrough in our lives, where we need a miracle, where we need a word, maybe first we'd need a declutter just to allow God to speak. So a declutter does us good. And then just finally, don't be slaves to people. In verse 23, there's a line that stood out. It's almost like it was bolded in capital letters when I read this passage. And the second part of the verse is, do not become slaves to human beings. And this is a warning from Paul to the believers in Corinth, because the work that Jesus did in dying for us and giving us freedom from sin meant that we're called to live for him and to have him as a friend and have him as a helper. But still, the church in Corinth were so concerned and so obsessed by people. And groups of them would be ruled by people. And by ruled, I mean that their lives were ruled by these people. Their decisions would be dictated. And uh, certain people, they placed too high. That they gave them too much airtime and had too much influence. Before I worked for the church, uh, I worked as a financial advisor at Santander. And before I worked in the area of mortgage and insurances, I was a banking advisor. And in the bank, the staff turnover when I was there was incredible. You know, you'd have new staff every week and the managers as well would come and go so quickly. And there was this particular season where uh, we got this new manager and I got promoted to doing mortgages and insurances. And she was a great support initially in, in giving me the platform uh, to do that and to develop and to take my exams. 
Uh, but then she changed and something switched in terms of the atmosphere in and around the branch. And it, it shifted. What developed from a seemingly good working relationship, it became one where it was all about making sure that I, I made my targets, knowing that if I wasn't, I wasn't close, the fear of having the discussions of what happened if I, if I fell short, it would absolutely cripple me. It was stressful. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was emotionally and mentally a wreck at the weekends. And Sundays were days that I felt sick to the pit of my stomach. Like I just dreaded going to work. It was rubbish and my faith life was down the pan. And Mary and I were engaged at the time and uh, planning the wedding. Well, Mary was planning the wedding. I was just doing what I was told. And I decided when I was in the branch that I had to, I had to break that. I had to break it. I had to say something because it was getting to the point that you know, it was just ruling, it was ruling my life and, and destroying it ultimately. So I did. I was a young lad, about 23 at the time, and I, wa I walked into the office and I started speaking uh, to this manager and I just broke down in tears. I just broke down in tears. Like I was, you know, proper tears. And it's a bit embarrassing up the front saying that, but I was in absolute bits. And I said what I needed to say and amongst all the snot and the tears and the emotion. And you know what? When I did that, it broke something. It broke something. It taught me a lot, an awful lot in terms of people taking advantage and me being ruled by other people and letting them dominate and letting them just upset and derail and consume, using authority unfairly and dominating and affecting how I lived outside the workplace. I had my work, but the sphere of how it was affecting me was my whole life. And God just wanted to break that. So in amongst all that emotion, actually God did something in that where I said, no, this isn't good. You aren't treating any of us right. And I needed to say something. And Paul here in this passage is saying, don't be slaves to people. Yes, we all may have bosses, superiors, family members who, who maybe know a bit more and carry influence and respect, but don't let them control you to the point that you're so intertwined that God isn't your number one that you worry what they will think, that they have a hold over you, that your joy is robbed. And I believe that God wants to break that where people are having an issue maybe in their workplace, have that fear, have that Sunday feeling of dreading going in on Monday, where we feel bound, we feel like slaves. God wants to bring release this morning, to bring a voice in amongst the tears, just like I was standing in that office. So to close, what matters most this morning, just to return to that question, what matters most? And what do we need to present to God in order to change our answer? Why don't we stand? <laughs>